Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void or prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we have made it. We are just one week away from the beginning of training camp with rookies reporting this upcoming Sunday the 24th and veterans soon after next Tuesday. In the meantime, we're going to be breaking down some training camp battles to anticipate, and we're going to start off with the news that Ben Lieber broke that we really already knew and why it was kind of a coward move. So sit back, relax. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Welcome to The Real Forno Show. Writer at NBC Sports Edge. Contributor at USA Today's Vikings Wire. Sports Illustrated's All Seahawks, and founder of Substack Run and Shooter, as well as a member of Climbing the Pocket. Dave, welcome aboard. We are here in the anti-coward corner, and we are going to have some fun because, let me tell you, we're going to start with an evisceration here this evening. How are you on this glorious Monday? I'm great, and I love Coward's prediction. I hope he comes true. I hope he's right dead on, and it comes true. Look, if if the Vikings actually win 13 games, that would be a a borderline miracle. It would be the 100th percentile outcome to reach that 13-game plateau, especially with the schedule we're, we're facing. All the changes that have to hit right away without having a lot of growing pains, that would be fantastic. And, but we're going to start on a little bit of a different note. And I mentioned it in the open. Ben Lieber came out uh, with CBS Radio's Zach Gelb talking about Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer's relationship. And Mike Zimmer did not like Kirk Cousins. One. Shocker. Why would Yeah, he, here's the frustrating part. Why would it take him seven months after Mike Zimmer got fired to say something? And this is one of the problems I have with the quote-unquote state-run media and why NFL Network itself is it, – it's a major conflict of interest, right? When you are covering the team that pays your checks, it can really hinder your ability to uh, present yourself as unbiased and, and 100% credible. Now, you can be one of the smartest and most well-respected people in the world, but you're also going to inherently – not say things negative against your boss. Where at NFL Network or NFL.com, it's the league itself. And for Lieber, it's the Minnesota Vikings, where he earns a paycheck and covers the game from the sidelines. So why is he talking about it now, rather than talking about it in season, where our friends at Score North uh, have been saying this for years? We've been saying it, Dave, behind the scenes and on the show for years. Well, why would he come out now? The whole idea that he didn't like the signing of Cousins started at the signing of Cousins. The whole picture yeah. of the Wilfs standing there with Kirk and Zim off to the side with a grimace on his face, you know, that started then. It was, and, and the whole Zimmer prediction that the quarterback's got to be right or I lose my job. And it played into, you know, fruition that that actually happened. It's nothing new. Why Lieber comes out with it now, there's got to be some sort of, I would guess, personal uh, motivation behind it. There may be owner motivation behind it. However, I would, I'd hope not. But there's something that, you know, they're going to blame everything on Zimmer. And then, if something goes wrong, right, like Score North has said, there's no excuses anymore. 
You cleaned the slate. You said, now we got to go this way. So you're going that way. But most likely, they'll come up with an excuse if something goes wrong. That's Mm -hmm. their modus operandi. It's going to happen. Is And when you have a dynamic where coach doesn't like the quarterback, quarterback doesn't like the coach stuff, that's a two-people issue, right? There's Mm -hmm. stuff on both sides of that. Now, the coach doesn't have to be liked by all his players to be effective. The quarterback doesn't have to be liked by the coach to be effective. And there's many situations where that wasn't the case across Mm -hmm. the league. But to come out now, to come out with this, and it's a steady drip, 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 drip since last season. After everybody got fired, it's all Mike's the bad guy. Mike's the evil guy. It's all Mike's fault. And when Mm -hmm. you look at things throughout life and you get to certain points and decisions and you look at stuff, how stuff happens, it's rarely just that one guy's fault. You know, a lot of it, when you're talking about organizations, happens to be that there's missteps all over the place that could have been better. If, you know, if Kurt had said, hey, Mike, I said Kurt, Kirk had said, hey, Mike, at the very beginning, can you teach me about your defenses? Can we watch film together? That whole attitude may have changed early on. It didn't. Kirk didn't want that. It didn't happen until last year. Why? Why didn't Mike insist upon it? I have no idea. You know, as a head coach, I'm going to want to maximize everybody on the team, and that especially includes my quarterback because the quarterback is such key to winning games on a regular basis. It's not just defense. It's not just the rest of, you know, it's the whole team, but the quarterback is so crucial. And that's where I'd spend a lot of my time, you know, to say, hey, I may be an expert on the defense, but impart that expertise on the Kirk so he can better deal with it. And Ben Lieber coming out at the last minute saying, hey, the defense was garbage over the last two years. Well, part of that is because they didn't have money to get the players they wanted. And when they drafted the players they wanted, those drafts, blew up in their faces because of just weird stuff. And But Lieber says it's all Mike's fault. So we're going to go into this season, it's all Mike's fault. And if nothing gets better, we'll still call it all Mike's fault. It's, it's BS. And you're on mute. <laughs> yes, I am. Um, it, it really is BS, Dave. And I, I want to talk about this briefly before we, we really get to the meat of the show, which is going to be training camp battles and what to really watch for as we move in to the first uh, Vikings practices. And that is going to come from like, like what Ben Lieber did, in my opinion, was coward crap. It, it was cowardice. It was like, hey, let's just. Uh, pile onto something else and it's never Kirk Cousins fault. And we see that a lot. Nothing's ever Kirk's fault. Oh, it's always the offensive line. Oh, it's the play caller. Oh, it's the head coach. Oh, it's the personnel. At the end of the day, Kirk's the 500 quarterback. Let's, he needs to have some blame in this because. And my buddy Drew said it wasn't on Cousins to implement the relationship with the head coach. It's Zimmer's responsibility. mm -hmm. Uh, Drew, I disagree. If you're a player in the NFL and you want to get better and better, you're going to seek out ways to do that. You just mm-hmm. sitting pat with what you have doesn't fulfill that. Now, Kirk may think so because it's getting him his paydays. But if you're excelling to be better, take Justin Jefferson. Is he seeking out other receivers to learn from? Like prior to last season when he was training with Diggs? Heck yes, he is. Is he trying to suck up as much information as possible? Yes, he is. Why can't a head, uh, why can't a quarterback do that as well? Here's my big issue, Dave. Yes, did Zimmer not like Cousins? Sure. Was all of it on Cousins? No. 
No. But at the end of the day, if you have somebody that comes in to your building or you go into a building and they don't like you, why aren't you able to try and change the relationship? Why aren't you trying to put your best foot forward? Like I've gone into workplaces and people don't like me. Guess what? I try to make an effort. I try to improve the relationship and change that first impression. I try to do everything I can to build a positive working relationship with that person. And as Drew says, Zimmer's job is to make his team better. But at the end of the day, some of this is on Cousins because from our perspective, what he was doing to try and help change the relationship didn't work. Now, how much of that's on Cousins? I don't know. I did not interact with these people in the building. I did not see their interactions in the building. But I can guarantee you this. It was not 0% on Kirk Cousins. Obviously, whatever he did did not work. And that's a problem. And you have all this track record of him just being average. When it boils down to it, he is average. And he can make some great things happen. But he's an average quarterback. And... Until he actually rewires his brain and will be a, have more of a gunslinger mentality and make throws he should make, he's talented enough to make, but he doesn't want to because they're not perfect situations. He's going to be an average quarterback, and there really is no more ifs, ands, or buts. And for Lieber to come out and say this months after Zimmer was fired is cowardice, is state-run media, and it's honestly propaganda, and it's to try to, to further... Cousins being absolved from any blame. And if he crashes and burns this year, what are they going to do? Is it going to be O'Connell's fault that he couldn't unlock Kirk Cousins? At the end of the day, Kirk Cousins needs to get some blame from those people. And until then, it's it's inherently frustrating that we sound like just these negative Nancys all the time. We're not. We're being honest observers of the sport. And we're trying to be as objective as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. To have those people in those high positions that are viewed as positively as they are say these things way after the fact, not talk about it during when it was obvious that Zimmer hated Kirk Cousins. And there was obviously a major strain in the relationship to not have those conversations then and to come out like after the fact, like, hey, I this is what happened. Like, no, it's coward stuff. And we don't need it. We need people to be honest. We need people like Score North. Uh, for uh, anybody like, that doesn't like them, they're, they're going to tell you what they think. And they're going to tell you why they think it. And they're going to be honest with you. Whether you like that approach or not, we need more of that. Honesty is the best policy. And if it doesn't draw as many eyeballs, that's fine. At least I can go home with my integrity intact. And that is something that, that in this situation, Ben Lieber is not able to accomplish. In inherently frustrating to see this time and time again from people who hold positions of power, as I use my air quotes, because <laughs> be honest with the viewers, be honest with the fans. We're not stupid. We're pretty dang smart and we understand what's going on to try and just pin everything on Zimmer. If this season crashes and burns, I'm going to come on and I'm going to have a massive victory lap here, Dave, because I've been saying it all year. You can't expect everything good that Zimmer was doing to stay. And O'Connell is just automatically going to prove everything that was bad. And this team is all of a sudden going to waltz to a Super Bowl. That's not how that works. That is a 100th percentile outcome. If it, It's a 100th percentile outcome. It's incredibly hard to do. That's what Tom Brady has done over and over and over again. He's the biggest anomaly in the history of sports. Like, we have to have a modicum of reality. This team, until proven otherwise, is a 500 football team. Right. Um, End of story. Just to let you know, we are having an issue with comments feeding into the show. I have okay. seen CYs has posted about Kirk's net worth under uh, Mike Zimmer. And then Andrew uh, agrees that Kirk has some blame. It's 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 dynamic. Interpersonal relationships is always dynamic. Um, it's always complicated. It's just it irks me that somebody doesn't want to improve and do what they can, whether they like the individuals or not, to do that. And that that comes across to me. And that I worry about that this season. 
when you have Kevin O'Connell who's wanting to do the same thing and get him to improve, and let's see if he does. Yeah. Eh. We could go on and on and on about this topic, Dave, but at the end of the day, what what Lieber did was a bunch of crap. Mm -hmm. And to really try and bury everything on one guy, who in all honesty was the reason the Vikings had a lot of their success, Mm -hmm. and then to completely absolve Cousins of blame is grade-A propaganda and, quite frankly, unfair to the realistic expectations of this team because you're setting it in fans' minds that Kirk Cousins is not at fault. Where in reality, he shares a decent percentage of that blame. We don't know what that is. We don't know if it's 5%, 20%, 50%, 80%. For all we know, Kirk Cousins could just be not a great individual to be within the locker room. He could be great. We genuinely... Don't know, and we're going to hear all about it the second he leaves because you know people are going to start talking. They are going to start. And it's it's just frustrating because Cousins needs to be held accountable, and this fan base is not doing it. And now all of a sudden I feel or I'm portrayed as this hater when I'm just trying to be objective and honest about it. And that's frustrating because mm-hmm. I should not be painted that way. I should be painted as, hey, I am speaking my genuine opinion. I'm going to give you data to back it up. And then you have Lieber coming out and pulling the state room media crap. And here we are. We're having one of the same conversations over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Because it just keeps being perpetuated by those who are in positions of power. It's a bunch of crap. But we're going to move on. Because I could vent about this all day. And you did not come here to hear me vent about Kirk Cousins for the umpteenth time. And here's what we're going to talk about. Dave, we are going to talk about training camp. We're going to talk about what, like some battles in training camp. All right. We're going to kind of take it position by position. And we are actually going to start with Kirk Cousins because this, this is a very intriguing element. You have Sean Mannion and Kellen Mond behind him. But the idea of bringing in Kevin O'Connell over a potential defensive coach or a different style of offensive coach is you want him to unlock Kirk Cousins. They have a pre-existing relationship. Kevin O'Connell called a few plays for Kirk Cousins in the 2017 season and was a full-fledged offensive coordinator in Jay Gruden's last year in 2019. That offense was led by Case Keenum. It was a disaster zone. It was a dumpster fire. Not Kevin O'Connell's fault, per se. The personnel, not great. There's a reason why Jay Gruden got fired. At the end of the day, you're expecting Kevin O'Connell to do what they did with Matthew Stafford. Now, Stafford was handed the keys to a Ferrari. And told and was told, hey, go drive this. And Matt Stafford's never driven a Ferrari before, but they trusted that he'd be able to take them to the promised land, and they won. They won a Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins has a not too dissimilar Ferrari that he's driving, and he's been driving it for a long time. Difference is Kevin O'Connell's supposed to have those souped up aftermarket parts. We install those aftermarket parts, which is honestly the the slight differences in scheme and philosophy and play calling. And he is supposed to be able to drive it all the way. Mm -hmm. Problem is Kirk Cousins has never held a lead before in that original Ferrari that he was driving. Now we're expecting him to be able to really take a massive leap. When you're a 40 or sorry, 34 year old man that's been in the league for 10 years, been a starter for the majority of your last 13 seasons playing football. You're expecting him to be completely rewired in his brain. Dave, I'm a 32-year-old man. It is not easy for me to completely rewire my brain for something. I am I am only two years younger than Kirk Cousins. That That's just an unfair, unrealistic expectation of the man. He's going to be who he is. You can slightly improve some areas, but for him to all of a sudden go out and be a Matt Stafford gunslinger type, which honestly is what he he needs to be because he's way too conservative. And we've had many conversations about that. I don't think is necessarily fair. Now, could some of that have been Mike Zimmer's fault and the offensive coordinators telling him to, hey, calm down? Sure. But Jay Gruden was telling him over and over and over again, and Mike Zimmer did in his last year, open it up. Make a big boy throw. Make a throw that's a little bit questionable because you have the arm talent and skill to do so. That's okay. Throw a couple picks. Matt Stafford threw 41 touchdowns last year. I believe he was second in the NFL in that number. He also threw 17 picks, tied for first. At the end of the day, 
you still have a two and a half to one touchdown interception ratio, which is an elite split. It's okay mm-hmm. to throw a couple extra picks if it means you're throwing that many touchdowns and you are that effective on the offensive side of the football. Problem is, I don't see Kirk Cousins going from conserva Kirk mm-hmm. to Warren Moon in the peak 1990s Oilers run and shoot. We're not going to see some kind of massive leap. He's going to still play within himself. And I can't see him all of a sudden just having a switch flipped and making all those throws. It's it, I just don't see it plausible. Well, you could be trained. You could be trained out of bad habits. You could be trained into good habits. You could be trained to do some of that. It comes through repetition. Is he going to get the repetition needed this offseason and in the training camp once it starts next week? Um that he's put in those positions where he has to make those decisions and then somebody is um, making sure he's making the right ones. That O'Connell standing there going, all right, you threw the check down to C.J. Ham. Why didn't you go for Justin Jefferson over here? And he'll say, well, we had too high coverage. Or whatever the excuse is, he says, no, I want you to push that. Here, next time. Let's repeat it. Everybody, line back up. On go, we're going to run the exact same plays, do the exact same thing. Now rush it. Now I want you to push it, right? And just repeat, repeat, repeat. And it looks like it's YouTube comments that aren't coming in. Steve is well proven that uh, the Facebook comments are coming in. Thank you, Steve. Yes, uh, that's what I'm getting at, Steve, is the mentality's got to change. It's, you can change mentality. It just takes time. It takes repetition. It takes the want to, um, to be able to do it. But it can happen. Will it happen? We have no idea, right? We won't find out until this season and see how it plays out. Does Kirk regress to his nor? Does he come out firing the ball? Or does he sit there and do what he did? Um, does he come out firing a ball and then suddenly regress when things get tougher? It's it's something you got to push. It's it's learning a new habit. You know you got to do it. And they say at least three weeks. It's got to be even longer than that. Can he do that? Can Kevin O'Connell instill that in him? I don't know. Or we've got to wait and find out. Um, we shall see. Um, the argument on YouTube keeps going on over Zimmer and how bad he was. There's uh, in the comments. We'll find out. Hey, if if we have another 500 season and Kirk is just normal Kirk, you know, we move yeah. on. We we look forward to that draft choice. That's you know for next year that quarterback class probably trading up. If he wins, great. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. And we're going to kind of hit a little bit of every position group here, Dave. Okay. We're going to talk about running backs. And I'm very intrigued to see what the running back room looks like behind Dalvin Cook. Dalvin is going to be the starting running back. There's no way of sands or buts about it unless the team decides, hey, somebody's going to give us like a second round pick and then like a conditional fifth. And they're like, you know what? That value is too good to pass up. We're going to take it because we love what we've seen from Ty Chandler. He's going to be the starting running back, at, barring some kind of um, outside force. Right. The real question lies, what does the backfield look like outside of him? Alexander Madison is going into his fourth season. Mm-hmm. He's an okay back. His vision is booty. It's terrible. Uh, he needs like those – like Dave, you remember uh, growing up in school – you had those kids that came to uh, class with like the Coke bottle glasses. He needs that to see the open hole. It's pretty bad. And it's well, frustrating it's... because he has everything else. He's got the ability to cut back in this one cut zone offense. He has power. He has good enough speed and acceleration, but he can't see what's going on in front of him well enough in order to really be successful. And we've seen that the fourth and one against Seattle had a wide open lane to win the game. Missed it. The Vikings lose by one to Russell Wilson in his heroics. And too many times, he's missing the open hole and getting, like, 
no yards or even a loss when he could be getting five or six. And I really wonder with Ty Chandler, if he comes in and he's able to show a little bit of something and Kenny Wangwu, if he's able to show something out of the backfield and not just as a returner, Alexander Madison could end up being a cut. Expendable. And Mm -hmm. yeah, he's very expendable. There's no more money guaranteed left on his deal. And you can cut him at a relatively inexpensive cost. And then you can keep Wang Wu and Ty Chandler as your second and third backs. I'm very intrigued to see what happens because Alexander Madison is kind of, I wouldn't say worn out as welcome, but you get what I'm saying. Right. He's a good serviceable back, but do we want just serviceable? We've just been arguing about that for the last 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I I want I want somebody with a, a future, a projected ceiling that hasn't been reached yet. I think Alexander Madison's hit a ceiling, and it's not good enough to be to keep on this roster considering the direction that we're trending. The only reason I would say keep Alexander Madison is if Cook gets hurt. Because well, let's Steve be honest, said, he's he has yeah. served his purpose as a backup, and yes, he has. If Ty Chandler looks good and you're only going to keep three guys, are you cutting Wong Wu or Chandler or are you going to cut Alexander Madison? Because that's the question you're going to have to ask yourself. You're likely keeping four backs with the with that fourth guy being C.J. Ham. Who's the odd man out? That That's the conundrum right here. Yeah, if, if Chandler shows that he can handle it at this level, then I think Madison's the one that gets shown the door. Yeah, thank and you. For I think on your way. Yeah, I think he is going to get shown the door, and that's one that I'm going to be keeping my eye on throughout camp. And then the next one is going to be wide receiver depth. You have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. They are locked in one and two. I think KJ Osborne has a soft lock on wide receiver three. I don't think it's a guarantee. He had a very good breakout season, but he was also like the fourth guy in progressions. Guys like. Teams were not queuing in on him, and he had, what, one-tenth of his yards on a broken coverage play against uh, the Arizona Cardinals? I think Osborne is good, but I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit. I think if you have to put him in a wide receiver two role, he's going to struggle. And this is where... Yeah, but if he takes K.J. Osborne the first year, right, primarily as a punt returner, but even as a wide receiver, Mm -hmm. stunk. He was bad. We were all talking last year at this time that K.J. Osborne is um, probably going to get cut because he hasn't produced at all. K.J. Osborne last year prior to the season fooled us all, though. He was out there with Diggs and Justin Jefferson learning how to be better at his craft. He came out and had a better season, a much, much better season. If he continues that growth into this season, I very much can see him being a key factor because he can play in that underneath role that Cooper Cup plays that we don't want to necessarily waste Justin Jefferson on. We want Justin Jefferson deeper, the mid and deep ranges. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where I disagree with you. I think Osborne has earned the right to be wide receiver three. For the moment, he's still got to go out and prove it again, but I think he can be that. Now, you add in who we're going to talk about next in ISM, right? Is there promise? Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? Do we have mm-hmm. a deep wide receiving group? Yes. Is that a good problem mm-hmm. to have? Yes. I think so, and I think one of the interesting elements is even though Osborne really did a great job improving from year one to year two, he wasn't even drafted as a receiver. He was drafted as a punt returner, and I think he deserves all the credit in the world. But we aren't talking about what he's done. We're talking about a projection of what he's going to be able to do, and I worry about him being wide receiver three, especially if one of the top two guys goes down and he has to step into an even bigger role because I think that's where your issue lies. And that was one of the reasons why I was beating and banging the drum for the Vikings to take a receiver high. Because you can go three deep, you have a three-wide receiver offense, and you can really do a lot more things 
And then Osborne's a fantastic wide receiver four. He's a he's a good wide receiver three. I think he's he's a way below average wide receiver two. And for my money, that's the struggle here. And that's one of the reasons why I think that he could honestly be overtaken by Amir Smith-Marset and potentially Jalen Naylor, not right away, but by the end of the season, because they love Naylor. McCardell uh, was banging the table for him. And one of the things that Naylor does that really nobody else has that skill set. He's a burner downfield. JJ's really good at downfield routes. Like, but JJ's not this style of player. He's not a burner. He's not mm-hmm. a guy that's just going to go down and get deep balls. Naylor is going to be a modern day Kelly Campbell. And I think that has a really important role in today's NFL. Just look at what some of these deep guys are able to do. Marquez Valdez Scantling for Green Bay and his ability to stretch the field and open things up underneath. Um, Tyreek Hill. Look at, look at that. Jalen Waddle. Like those speed guys make a massive difference just spring down the field. I, I know he is no longer in the NFL and he's in jail. Henry Ruggs, that's what he was drafted to do, and he was great at it. He got Nelson Aguilar paid because of his speed and what he was able to do down the field that they they focused so much on him, the entire offense underneath and in the middle area of the field was able to really thrive. And Naylor provides you a little bit of that. I don't think he's going to be quite on, on some kind of superstar level, especially right away. But he's going to give you an element the Vikings don't have. And I think that is going to be an interesting uh, thing to watch play out. And I think ISM, to a little bit of a lesser degree, has that as well. I think he's a little bit more of a bigger body guy. And he's going to work the intermediate area of the field better than any other. But he has the ability to stretch the field as well. In the same way Justin Jefferson is, they're good at it. And Jefferson's obviously better. But they don't scare you like a true burner down the field does. And I think that's something that needs to be in the back of our minds. If Naylor earns himself consistent playing time early, that's going to be why. Um, Drew saying in the chat uh, that uh, Naylor is better than ISM. Um, I don't know about that. Um, You can honestly say that the Michigan State offense is way better than Iowa's. Iowa's offense is booty, especially at the quarterback position. They are bad. And their defense and running the football, they play old school, uninspired, like uber conservative football. It's just who they are. That's Iowa. They're going to play like that until Kirk Ferentz quits. And if one of his kids takes over, they're going to play like that forever. That's just Iowa football. But I don't know if I'd say he's necessarily better, but I think they're at least on the same level. And I don't think Osborne has wide receiver three locked up that we need to throw away the key. I I think that needs to be something to keep a modicum of your eye on because I think there could be something there. I don't know if there is something there, but just be prepared to watch it. Um, Now, we move on to the offensive line. What ends up being the starting five, Dave? Um, I'm not convinced that Garrett Bradbury is going to hold that job because if Chris Reed does get that play at center and he plays really well, are they going to roll into week one with Garrett Bradbury at center? They keep talking about how they want to. They're going to give him every opportunity. But if there is a better player out there, this regime doesn't have any attachment to him. Could they go Chris Reed and then Jesse Davis or Ole Udo at right guard? I think that's a relatively good possibility because it's about creating your best starting five. Um, As a round belly expert, Dave, uh, what kind of chance do you give this? Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. For Reed getting the starting position by week one? Yes. Little to none. I think it's going to be Bradbury. 
And <clears throat> until he gets in games and screws it up, it's going to be Bradbury. Now, if he gets forklifted back in the cousin's lap multiple, multiple, multiple times, yeah, there's going to be a change. Um, the what the big I want to see Reed play center. We're going to see that in the preseason games. I want to see if there's a difference, even if it's snapping to um, not Kirk Cousins, whether it be Mond or whether it be you know the on-team quarterbacks coach, Sean Mannion. It's, uh, I want to see that. But the biggest deal, the biggest camp battle is at right guard, period. That's it. And I don't think it's Oluyudu. I think Oluyudu's chance to make the team is going to be as a swing tackle and uh, with the, the ability to play guard. That's how I view that. We'll find out. It's the team, like you said, whole new coaches, whole new regime. They have nothing invested in these guys other than the draft picks. So it could go either way. Speaking of the draft picks, however, and that right guard position, I want to see what Ed Ingram does. And does he move in? Because right now I think it's going to be Jesse Davis that is the front runner for that spot. Does he show enough to trust him as a second-round draft choice to suddenly say he can start? Will he have rookie growing pains? Oh, absolutely. But does he have enough to overcome those and win that spot? That's that's the one thing I am going to be glued in on because I want to see, I want as much O-line stuff as we can get. And I'm going to be telling you, when you're out there at camp, I'm going to be telling uh, – Matthew Culler, Judd, everybody. I want O-line stuff. That'll make me happy. Absolutely. And I, I think we'll be able to deliver that to you, Dave. Um, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see what Jesse Davis is because uh, the Dolphins people that I really respect say that he was basically a literal traffic cone. And he was mm-hmm. bad. Like, genuinely On bad. Pass blocking. Run blocking, he was okay. It was the pass blocking he was having issues with. Just like Bradbury. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting. Um, and we're going to move on to the other side of the line, Dave. Um, and we're going to start um, at defensive line. Who's going to mm-hmm. be that third starter? Because you have Harrison Phillips and Dalvin Thompson. They're already going to be starters. Mm-hmm. You have a third spot. Are we talking um, Armand Watts, James Lynch, Sezi Otomewo? Like those are the three guys that are going to be competing for that spot. I think Odomewo's got a much much longer odds of a shot than uh, the other two guys. Fifth round pick, raw, great tools, great size and length, explosive off the ball, but he's got work to do, and that's okay. He's a fifth round pick. He, he probably should have work to do in, mm-hmm. in a lot of, lot of ways, right? But you have Armand Watson, James Lynch, a couple different styles of players. Lynch was playing at nose tackle, out of position. Because as th- as a three technique, slash five technique for Baylor, he had 13 and a half sacks in his uh, senior year and then came to the Vikings in the fourth round. I thought he was a, a little bit of a poor pick because you you were drafting a guy with, I felt, no upside. He was a motor guy. He didn't have a lot of in, uh, athletic plus traits. And he was going to be an intangibles motor guy. And I thought... You know, I, I would have really liked to see uh, a player drafted in that spot that had a little bit more, a little bit more upside. And that's what Watts gives you because he's got some explosiveness. He can play the nose. He can play the three. He can probably even slide out to the five as well. And which one are you going to take? Are you going to take Lynch, who's going to be slimming down after being so bulky the last two years? You're going to take Watts, who I think has shown more explosiveness than Lynch? This is going to be one of the toughest battles in camp between these two gentlemen, and I'm very excited to watch it. Well, I see Watts winning it. I see that as your three-core interior defensive line, and when I've busted them up in groups, I've busted the defensive line and the interior defensive line, right? That includes your defensive ends, right? And the traditional 3-4 system, that's them. Sitting right there. Those are the three guys in the middle. Now, 
who comes off when they go into a four, a four three set type deal or any variation of that is going to be an interesting question. Um, will it be Phillips? Will it be Tomlinson on that third down? Will it be Watts? Will they bring in somebody like Lynch, who I think gets better pass pressure? That's going to be interesting. But I think you're starting three on the interior defensive line is who I'm showing right up there. Tomlinson, uh, Phillips, and Watts. I think Watts is going to win that. I think Lynch is definitely, I would put that first in there, especially third down, getting pressure, the motor, you want that. Odomoyo, um, who knows whether he makes the final 53 or not. He's going to definitely make the practice squad if he doesn't. If he makes it through waivers, which most everybody does, we're going to have to see in camp. And hopefully everybody stays healthy and we don't decide it on injuries. So um, I'm not seeing that big of a a battle here. I'm not seeing what you are. My question is, we're going to see it on the backup and who's coming in rotation. I think Lynch has the advantage there. But we'll see what this defensive line coach and Ed Donatello are looking for. Exactly. Absolutely. And that leads us to uh, the edge position, which is now technically classified as outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the third and fourth edge rusher? You have Patrick Jones, the second, a third round pick last year. Janarius Robinson, a fourth round pick last year. And DJ Wanham. Mm-hmm. Wanham has 11 and a half sacks over his first two years. Honestly, he really hasn't been all that impressive. You're not talking about a guy who's got a, a myriad of rushing moves, has super high upside athleticism. He's got size. He has length. He really hasn't been able to put it together. And a lot of his sacks are coming either via coverage uh, or a- as a friend of the show from Lockdown Vikings, Luke Braun has put it. He's getting a, a lot of just unblocked sacks and pressures. Like teams just aren't even accounting for him and he's getting to the quarterback. And I think that plays a big factor into his statistical success. Patrick Jones came into the league, and Luke and I were talking about him leading up to the season, and he said it best, and he really made me go back and rewatch the tape. He was not good at really anything, and I really docked him for it. But Luke gave him a lot of credit, and he said he's he's about 30 to 40% on like four different pass rush moves. He has nothing mastered yet. So I went back and watched, and I changed my opinion on him a little bit. I agreed. And I thought, hey, you know what? If he can master one right away and then he can start mastering the others, we may have something here because he's got an explosive first step. He's got size. He's got a little bit of bend to him. Mm -hmm. The arms are a little bit of an issue, but you can work around the arm length if you have other tools in your toolbox. Mm -hmm. And I think Jones really didn't get a lot of run last year. Some of that Zimmer, some of that situation. Um, But he has an idea he has a skill set that can really be utilized and maximized for this team. I'm excited to see what that looks like. Janarius Robinson was put on IR before the season. He didn't get to play at practice really at all last year. He's a massive wild card, but he has a toolbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Hunter came in the league with a toolbox and Mike Zimmer and Andre Patterson unleashed him and made him an all pro caliber player. I will not make that comparison with Janarius Robinson, but it is unarguable that Robinson had an excellent toolbox coming out with a lot of plus traits and moves and the ability to grow and learn as he gets better in the National Football League because he flashed some really, really impressive stuff for the Seminoles at Florida State. And given opportunity, he could do the same here. He could also flame out and be absolutely nothing. We, we really just don't know because he was hurt. So this is a battle that I'm very interested to see. Even with DJ Wanham's success, I'm not convinced that he will be that third guy because I think Jones or Robinson could potentially overtake him. And I think one of these three guys is going to end up getting cut because I don't think we're going to keep five. I think we're going to end up keeping four because you have a guy like Lynch who can slide out and be a true five tech, and then that can make you a little bit more multiple. So one of these guys is likely seeing the door. Who's it going to be? Well, out of the outside linebackers, your edge rushers, and the interior defensive linemen, how many do how many do they keep? My projections as of right now are going to be six and four. Six linemen, ten total. Four, 
edge outside linebackers. And then you're going to keep, and we're going to talk about this in a minute. It's going to be four regular linebackers. So you're talking about keeping projected out 14 players in your front seven, which is fairly reasonable. Um, in past years, the, the Vikings have kept what eight or nine defensive linemen, five or six mm-hmm. linebackers. He, you could add one more because they're going to be like wild card slots. I'm going to hit my minimums on all these positions. And then you have like four or five wild card guys that you could, hey, we're going to keep an extra offensive lineman. We're going to keep an extra defensive lineman, extra corner. It really all depends right. on well, how things take shape that, up at that point. An extra offensive lineman versus an extra wide receiver. Um, you you play this because if you look at a 53, you're looking at basically 25, 25, and three. The three guys being your kicker, punter, long snapper. And out of that 25, you just said 10 on the interior, right? And then add another four for the linebackers. That's 14 leaves you nine, um, no, 11 for your corners and safeties. Mm-hmm. It's... It's going to be really interesting to see how this uh, structure plays out year one because we're going to learn a lot about uh, what Kevin O'Connell and Quasey really view this roster because there's so many questions that we just don't know yet because they haven't really had the ability to get these guys in a consistent practice time um, and con- like consistently in the building. You've had a couple of mini camps, you've had OTAs, but there's really been no consistent trends that we can really look at. And, we need a little bit more of that to really be able to judge how these guys are going to view one roster construction, these players. So I'm really intrigued to see all that and how it shapes up, because that's really going to tell us a lot about the future of this team and how these guys one perform and two, the guys that don't make the team, how they perform other places. Mm -hmm. So I'm very intrigued to see all those things. Um, We had a question in the comments, uh, Vikings uncensored. What do I think about Twyman? Look, I had Twyman as a, as a late second-round grade before his utterly disastrous combine. I docked him a full round for it because it was it was bad. He was trying to just bulk up, and he gained a lot of bad weight and then tested just abysmal. But Twyman, he wore 97 at Pitt, and he played three technique, and you're automatically going to start drawing comparisons to Aaron Donald. He is a very poor man's Aaron Donald. If Aaron Donald, Donald's worth a dollar. Jalen Twyman is worth 35 cents. And could that be a good 35 cents? I don't know. Um, I think Twyman has a place in the league. I'm really, really happy for him that he's at a place where he can compete again and he can get back on the field. I don't know if he's going to make this team because they, the last regime invested a six-round pick in him, which was after that disastrous combine. If he doesn't have a disastrous combine, he could go third round. This new regime has no investment in him. It'll be very interesting to see how they view that. I think Twyman can play a three-tech and a five-tech and be really, really effective rushing the passer from the interior, which is his specialty. We'll see if he gets that opportunity. But we're going to move on to linebackers here, Dave, because we have about 10 minutes left, and there's still some things that I want to get to here. And the first of those things is going to be linebackers. Eric Kendricks, Jordan Hicks, Hicks, Brian Asamoah, they're set. Who gets the fourth spot? Chasserat, who... Barely played it all on defense last year, and he still can't shed a block to save his life. Blake Lynch, who has consistently grown with the Minnesota Vikings and honestly was the fourth-best linebacker on the team last year. Uh, Troy Dye, who a lot of people wanted to draft because he could take over that Anthony Barr role because he's tall, long, he's an athlete, but he really hasn't shown a whole lot. And then you have Ryan Connolly, who uh, Wisconsin linebacker, yeah, you know that Wisconsin linebacker. You know every Wisconsin linebacker. He's a Wisconsin linebacker. We got him uh, in free agency from the New York Giants. He is what he is. He's fine. Who ends up getting that that fourth spot? I personally think it's going to end up being Blake Lynch because I think he's the best overall player. I don't think that they're going to be into Chaz Surratt and what he brings to the table because he can't shut a block. Um He's a good athlete. He's got good vision. Former quarterback, that's always a plus to have on the field because you just have a different mindset of thinking when you have played the quarterback position. I love having former quarterbacks. Give them to me. Like, like remember how good Cordell Stewart was at receiver? Mm-hmm. One, he was a great athlete. Two, he was a quarterback. Antoine Randall was as good of a receiver as he was. 
because he was a quarterback. Like there's something to being a former quarterback and playing a different position. It is a net positive. But at the end of the day, you can't shut a block as a linebacker. None of that stuff matters. And he hasn't been able to prove that he can do that really since he came uh, as a linebacker his junior year at North Carolina. What will happen? I, I think Blake Lynch has this relatively in the bag unless somebody just upstages him in training camp. I don't disagree. Well, perfect. That makes things easy. Dave, we're going to go to corner next. And there's a logjam corner. Yes. And th- this is this is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. A lot of this, I think, is going to really depend. And we're going to go into this viewpoint that Andrew Booth is going to be 100% cleared for day one of training camp. Because I think that's really important to the context of this conversation. I don't know if he'll be 100% cleared. We're going to go off the premise that he is. You have Andrew Booth Jr., Cameron Dantzler, Patrick Peterson, mm-hmm. your top three corners. Two of those guys are going to start. Right. One of those guys is going to come off the bench and de- be your de facto cornerback four, unless you believe Andrew Booth Jr. can play the slot right away. Dantzler can't. I don't think Patrick Peterson has the lateral ability to thrive and be successful in there. So you're talking Chandon Sullivan is likely your slot corner. Well, and that this is this is something I'm looking forward to seeing too. Yes, right now I would say Sullivan is probably the default nickel. But do we see Donatel go with? Well, yeah, we got Sullivan to be the default nickel. But if we bring Bynum in, a safety to play the default nickel. Right or mix up sign Bynum, um, you know one of those two into it. Do we see suddenly where the safety, one of the safeties, is taking that spot, thus alleviating the need for that third corner? And you know traditionally we keep at least six corners and four safeties. That gets you ten, um, and. You can never have enough corners because when they get hurt, they get hurt, and you're like, oh, shit. It's – I'm curious how Ed Donatel is going to work that. That's one of the things we have yet to see is how are they going to set up that defense when they go in a nickel, when they go in a dime. Um, we'll find out, but I, I agree with you. Chandler right now is the default nickel, so the question is – it will boost be ready. Will boost beat Dantzler? Is um, PFF paid some more love to Patrick um, Peterson? Will P two be as good as he can be, or is he still on that you know sliding down the slope of old age? It's going to be fun to watch. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch, and I, as of right now think Cam Dantzler and Patrick Peterson are going to end up being the two guys. I do think Booth is going to make it a rotation. And I think a rotation for him is a really, really, really good and important step to being successful in the National Football League because he's going to be able to get real reps against real competition in big spots. But at the end of the day, he's not going to be counted on to be an alpha. He's not going to be asked to be uh, Xavier Rhodes 2017. He's not going to be asked to be Jair Alexander. He's going to ask just be asked to be himself and being himself is going to be really important in his growth and taking that first step into becoming a successful NFL pro. And you have dancer who's ready to really take a big step himself and Patrick Peterson who proved that he can still play. He's not Patrick Peterson of old. That's fine. We're not going to ask him to be Patrick Peterson of old. You don't have to be that all pro be a solid corner that we can rely on to not blow plays and make some, And I think he can do that for at least a couple more years because he had such elite athleticism and stuff. Now he's relying more on the technical side, and he's still a very good athlete. So you can get a couple more good years out of Patrick Peterson, but you're never going to see the guy who in his first three or five seasons was a four-time pro pro bowler. You're not going to see that guy again, and that's fine because it happens to everybody. But if we can groom Booth into that position, Mm -hmm. you know, 
and that's cool, you know, Booth and Dantzler, then we could be set for years having two premier corners. And that's that's what I'm hoping for. It's going to be fun to watch. Oh, it's going to be 100% fun to watch. I'm very excited. And one of the elements we're going to talk about here right away is going to tie into our safety conversation, Dave, and that's Cam Bynum. Mm-hmm. Cam Bynum showed that he can be a successful slot corner and he can play that slot safety hybrid role. And then they drafted Lewis Seen, mm-hmm. which was a very interesting selection at the time because Kyle Hamilton was on the board and then they decided to trade back and they get Seen, who I ended up loving the selection after I really had a chance to super deep dive him because of his intelligence on the field, how he communicates with players on the back end, how he's able to do things on the fly and his just outright explosiveness. I think those traits are going to be awesome. He's going to be able to learn from Harrison Smith. And now you have three safeties you can run in three safety packages, which are becoming all the more popular in the NFL because running games are a lot less effective. They're more um, concentrated on outside zone. So getting guys in space and matching them up with speed, which is what the Vikings are going to be able to counter with when you have seen Harrison Smith and Cam Bynum. So there, there's kind of your... Uh, three safety package right there. But who are going to be the two when you're only running them? Cam Bynum, is he going to be uh, take over that kind of slot role? And then are you going to have seen Harrison Smith on the back end on third downs? Is Bynum going to be able to win the job outright right away while Seen kind of learns and rotates in? Like, well, Seen the safety win battle is going to be really interesting. Starter job right off the way. I don't know um, because the. Let's be honest. I think He's a first-round draft Yeah, If you would have asked 100 Viking fans, if you they would have felt comfortable Cam Bynum starting next year, you're going to get at least 70 75% of them saying yes. Because in the couple games where he was giving a real run, he was great. He, he played really, really well. He made some big plays. He didn't make any big mistakes. And he showed that he was able to transition from the outside corner to a safety role because – his athletic traits and profile just did not match that of an outside corner. And that's fine. But with a guy that intelligent and the ability to make plays, his being able to play that safety spot was a really nice fit for him. I'm very intrigued to see what that next step is for him. Are we going to take a break with scene and really let him ease in? Is Bynum ready to be a full-time starter? Because if he's not, do you almost just put scene in there and just be like, you know what? We're going to have growing pains anyways. Let's get our first round pick in there. A lot of elements here to really consider. And this is going to be one of the more intriguing battles. Does Josh Metellus hold a roster spot? Like, he was a, a six-round pick a couple years ago. And honestly, he was he was a jag. Like, those, the back-end guys, how are they going to be viewed on this roster? Like, this is, this is going to be a really interesting group to uh, pick through. Well, as I view the roster, there's only six safeties on it right now. Right, mm-hmm. Metellus is would pro, in my books be safety number four. Uh, Miles Dorn is probably safety five, and then you have a, a undrafted rookie free agent Mike Brown on there that I have no clue about. So that's it; those are your guys. You got six, and you figure four of them are going to stay. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even talk. Uh, I want to kind of jump back to corner here for a second, Dave. Um, we didn't even talk about a Caleb Evans, who I was very low on mm-hmm. going into the process. And then I watched a lot of a Caleb Evans tape, and I came away impressed. This kid is, one, fun. Two, he's already embraced Minnesota. But his ability to pattern match and stay with the receiver and stay glued to him I found really impressive. He's got, he needs to oil his hips up a little bit more. He has to learn how to attack the football because he's in position, but he's not making enough plays on the ball. And if he can kind of figure a couple of those things out, we could have a real gem in the fourth round. And now I'm really starting to understand and see why the Vikings decided to trade a 2023-4 in order to move up and go get this young man. And, that is an element to this defensive back room that we really haven't had a chance to discuss yet. Evans is a real wild card because he could get some real playing time right away. He's a 23-year-old, he's a fifth-year senior, played four years at Tulsa and then one year at Missouri. He's seen big boy, high-level competition and played relatively well. 
this defensive backfield has a lot of question marks, but a lot of potential answers. And how everything shapes up is going to be really fun. And I want to address something that Drew said in the YouTube comments. Um, Bynum is a good football player, but seems on a whole different level. I agree. And I said also in the comments that um, we're talking kind of about week one. I think Scene's going to end up being the starter right. at some point this year. But week one, is Scene going to be ready? We don't know. We genuinely don't know. We've, we know what we've seen from Bynum. And they may want to prefer that experience right away and rotate Scene in. That's where the preseason is going to really tell us a lot about this team. Well, and to me, it doesn't say enough. Because of the uh, collective bargaining agreement, you only have 12 practices in pads. Just 12. And you have three preseason games. And one of them is treated like you know, preseason game four of two years ago, where it's just who's going to make that final 53 and who's going to you know fight for the practice squad and who's putting film on uh, you know, or putting an effort on film so they hopefully get hired somewhere else. Even just 12 practices in pads, and I think there needs to be pads, full speed in pads, to see how players do. 12 isn't uh, isn't a whole lot. Now, especially when it comes to linemen, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, especially offensive linemen, Um but that also goes back for your secondary. How are those guys going to act when everything's full speed and full, you know, fully equipped and they're hitting people? You know, it's not just two-hand touch, tap, you're it. Hopefully they're making the right decisions. Hopefully in shorts they make enough. Yes, I'm going here. I'm reacting well. It should be fun to see, but... To me, there's not enough, and that's the old coach in me. I would want more, 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 but it is what it mm-hmm. is. So we'll find out. Can in those 12 practices and three games, seen win the starting position? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Can Bynum show that he's better and seen gets to get rotated in? Possibly. We'll find mm-hmm. out. Um, and, then, yeah. you know, same with the corners, same with – just about everywhere. There's very few spots that, especially when it comes into the backup, those, you know, the third linebacker. Asamoa, we, we assume it's Asamoa, but how often does the third linebacker play? How often does the rotation on the defensive line going to be? Um, how many in this new O'Connell offense, we talked about, Osborne being a wide receiver three, but how many plays are designed where Osborne comes off, ISM comes in, right? Or Thielen needs a breather, so we're going to stick this. And how much, we don't know any of that yet. We haven't seen Mm -hmm. it. And I look forward to seeing all that because they're unknowns now. So it should be fun. It should be fun to watch. It's going to be really fun to watch. And, one of the other elements that we haven't discussed is returners. Wongwu is going to hold down the kick returner spot. Punt returner is going to be a really interesting wild card because I don't think it's going to end up being KJ Osborne. Here's Smith Marset. Will a guy like App State's Thomas Hennigan, wide receiver, is he going to be that guy to take that spot? I'm very intrigued to see how that plays out. Um, kicker set, punter set. I don't think we're going to really have well, any issues unless we have a last second. We have cut. two. We I have don't. technically two punters on the team. Sure. We have Jordan Berry, who we expect to win it, right? The veteran in the position, and we have rookie, mm-hmm. undrafted free agent Ryan Ryan White. Yeah, but, I, I I think it's going to be um what what's his name? I think it's. It's going to end up being... Hey, a YouTube comment came through. Good. Thanks, Rhino. Well, yeah. Dave, hmm. that's our show tonight. Cool. Good stuff. Um, I I forgot my charger downstairs, so we're going to wrap it up real quick. Ah, uh, uh, make- before we do, there's something we need to talk about. Okay. Yes. I, I apologize if my if my computer ends up dying. The Run and Shooter, my new Substack. Please go ahead and check it out. Run and Shooter. 
with uh, no and, it's n.substack.com. Uh, It'll be linked in the show notes. Um, you can also check it out on my Twitter profile at The Real Forno. Um, I've got a lot of stuff coming on that. Um, I just dropped a pizza on Friday talking about college football quarterbacks that you need to keep your eye on. And. And. Suddenly we're having internet. No. And there he goes. I think Tyler's computer just died. He was warning us about it. That's what they make plugs for, Tyler. <laughs> Anyways, want to thank everybody for watching tonight. We hope you have a great week. There's nothing on schedule until 2-0 Bloggers this weekend. We are also going into a group-by-group group look into uh, uh, training camp, who's doing what. Hey, Purple Haze, thank you. Finally glad that YouTube remarks started coming in the rest of you as we always say skull vikings thanks for watching like subscribe and ring the bell and rate us on your favorite aggregator and a special shout out goes to our partners the daily norsemen where the best vikings content can be found and to lake monster brewing home of the best beer in minnesota skull everybody everybody